This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station, and I'm Lily Chai. Mental health is an issue that is widely talked about now, especially after the pandemic when employees are looking to prioritize their mental health. But from a psychiatrist's point of view, what are the challenges like? So I'm here with Dr. Mastura Rosley, who is a certified psychiatrist at Mind Matters Clinic, a private clinic that provides psychiatric and psychological services. She also served in the Ministry of Health for more than 14 years. I want to discuss all about that with her today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Mastura. Hi. Hi, Lily. Thank you for having me. So first and foremost, uh, you were with the Ministry of Health for more than 14 years. Congratulations on that milestone. Um, But let's talk about your career progression in MOH, right? So you were a senior medical officer at the psychiatric department before. And I guess you were leading a team as well during your tenure. So what was it like being a leader in the ministry? Uh, Were there any challenges that you faced? Talk to us about that. All right. At the risk of sounding very, very ancient, 14 years ago, (laughs) after graduating with my medical degree, uh, yeah, uh, I went through the house officer training, which takes about two years. Um, But I think even in a house officer training, my path took a very uh, unorthodox turn already as it is. Essentially, you would be required to undergo six basic postings to um, be certified as a doctor, to be able to work in independently but rather than taking general surgery what I did was I was pulled into urology for uh, almost entirety of surgical um, posting so that really opened up to uh, opened up my eyes basically to possibilities of doing things out of the box. So later on as a medical officer, yes, I was in IPR, Institute Probata and Respiratory, the Lung Institute, where usually the first thing that comes to mind is treatment of lung diseases, Mm -hmm. which are more common, which is like TB, tuberculosis or asthma. But um, interestingly, there's a lot of other things in respiratory at that particular um, moment in time as well. And that's when I got um, interested in sleep medicine and also lung transplant. The interesting thing about uh, lung transplant is that you get to know a lot more chronic lung diseases and breaking the news to patients about chronic lung illnesses and how that can be deteriorating and how devastating that can be um, because of its chronicity of illness then opened up my mind into um, joining mental health psychiatry and that's how I ended up in psychiatry Mm. despite being in um, respiratory medicine for over three years. Mm. How did you start your journey at MOH actually? In Malaysia, um, there's not much of a decision for you. (laughs) So after medical school, you are required to go for uh, training and certification, basically, with um, the Minister of Health in public um, hospitals uh, as a houseman. And then from then on, you will gradually graduate into medical officer and then middle management. And then if you take on um, specialty training, a specialist. 
Mm. So I, you told me that you just recently resigned from the position as a psychiatrist in MOH. Tell us why, why did you decide to do so? Wow. <laughs> Straight on. <laughs> right. There's a lot of consideration into staying or leaving, basically. Intrinsically, I would consider myself a person who's wants to give back to society. When you're working in uh, the civil service, you're very, very cognizant of um, the fact that you are working to earn money. Mm. Um, there is a, a gain there, a self-gain there, but also you're serving a very Zen intrinsic conscience need in you to give back to people who most of them won't be able to afford um, private health care and more so mental health uh, private health because of the limitations of insurance covering the cost of mental health care and because of the idea of social drift whereby you do realize there is a correlation between having a serious mental illness with having a lower socioeconomic status basically which one is the egg and which one is the chicken can be debatable but that is the main reason um, why I stayed in Ministry of Health for such a long time. But there does come a point whereby you do realize that there's a lot more things that you can do and you want to do. And under a certain um, leadership or culture uh, that's going on, you are either given the opportunity to really carry out your duties, uh, make changes. I guess it came to a point whereby I felt that it wasn't going to be a cultural dynamic change anymore. So, um, yep, the decision is made to leave. Mm, not aligned with your personal values anymore? Would you say that? In certain instances, very true. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to go back to, you know, your, you, you were actually a senior medical officer at the psychiatric mm -hmm. department before. I guess you were leading a team as well during uh, the tenure. What is it like being a leader in, a, the, in the ministry, right? What are the challenges that you faced? Right. Working in the ministry, which is um, a governmental organization, you're always under scrutiny. And that is why a lot of the times you find yourself caught in a net where you practice more defense, defensive medicine um, rather than assertive, progressive type of medical policies, you know, doing something new, something different. So you're always trying to do things by the book um, because at the end of the day, the culture of trying to find where we went wrong rather than how can we improve this is sort of like lost. One of the greatest disappointments or things that I would like to change is basically the idea of whether us as middle managers and upper management are really providing that psychological safety concept to our underlings and, mm. um, and staff basically. So so to me, that is the greatest challenge. When you feel like 
you're not in a position, not in a work culture that encourages psychological safety, that assures psychological safety, you're always on the defensive. And when you're always on the defensive, it's difficult for you to think innovatively. It's difficult for you to give your best because you're always watching your back. That's to me, is the greatest hurdle. Mm. Isn't that a bit ironic, <laughs> honestly? It's like they are labeled as the health department, right, of the country. But at the same time, they are unable to provide that kind of environment to the employees and their staff. And I guess because of this, there are news articles written about the Ministry of Health, how bad things are internally, staffing issues especially, right? So from your experience, how much truth is there in those articles and news that we see about the Ministry of Health is it really that bad? I, I just want to point out the issue with national health care system and um, understaffing, overworking, long waiting time and all that. That's that's not unique to Malaysia. It's not unique to Asia. That happens all over the world. However, um, there are two ways of approaching this. Number one is um, how we're going to solve it in terms of actual problem solution so the problem is that we're not having enough staff so what are we going to do about it you're not having enough funds to pay for new staff or whatever whatever the reason is but also because this is a governmental institution there also needs to be an emotional driven or emotional um, solution to this so being aware of the sentiments of the public is also very important. Not all problems need to be solved immediately, right. pragmatically, but we also need to deal with public sentiments. So communication, um, how much information and how information is given to the public to answer that certain problem is also very important. I hate it when people say, you know, we need to learn how uh, how to let laypersons know the problems in a way that they can understand. That really demeans <laughs> um, um, the idea of just because they are layperson, it's not their field. Uh, should we really be using that kind of derogatory uh, or, you know, um, judgmental terms? If you start off with a platform where I know more than you do, how is that really open and assertive and effective communication. What I would want to advise everybody or suggest to everybody to do and what I am aiming to do as well is to communicate with everybody, every individual relatably. So it's not about dumbing things down for the lay person, but basically it's about how to make everyone be able to understand the issue in a way that they can relate to it. Hmm. And at the end of the day, that's possibly the bigger issue right now. Are we addressing public sentiments in a relatable way? I do want to talk about that uh, and your new role as a psychiatrist at Mind Matters Clinic. But it's time for us to head into some messages, but don't go anywhere. I'm here with Dr. Mastura Rosley, who is a certified psychiatrist at Mind Matters Clinic. She also served in the Ministry of Health for 14 years. Uh, do stay with us here on BFM 89.9. Boosting Female Ministers, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, the business station, and I'm Lily Chai. I'm here with Dr. Mastura Rossi, who is a certified psychiatrist at Mind Matters Clinic. She also served in the Ministry of Health for 14 years. Uh, before this, we were talking about her journey in MOH, what challenges she has uh, faced uh, as a leader. Uh, now you are one of the partners at a private clinic, which is uh, Mind Matters Clinic, right? So uh, you did mention that this is one of your your dreams, right, to uh, help people, to serve people. Why do you think that running a clinic alongside with other doctors will help you realize that dream and goal? Right. One of my greatest desires I actually achieve job meaning is through serving the people. So that's with my clinical work, when I treat my clients, my patients. When we talk about mental health, uh, it is a given that it's not just about giving medicine. Um, it is not just about giving other treatment modalities. It is There's a very high component of psychotherapy going on and that doctor-patient um, alliance or psychotherapist and client alliance is therapeutic alliance is very very important what I realized while going through this process is that I realized there are other interests um, that I see myself leaning more towards that's very much interlinked with this whole idea of providing the best treatment for my patients and that is education, information, and promotion about mental health. One of the limitations that I felt I had when staying in governmental organization is that when I want to speak out, when I want to talk about mental health, mental promotion, there's a lot of red tape, a lot of steps and stages where you need to go through for approval, basically. This hurdle is taken away when you're no longer representing the governmental organization. So that lent a lot of justification for me to leave. Um, and then the idea that mental health care system in uh, government hospitals can have other limitations, um, time and space basically, also gave more reason for a lot of doctors who need space and time uh, in order to serve their clients better to actually have a greater propensity to leave. Um, what's sad is when certain individuals, especially in a higher um, management, would misconstrue this as just being after the money, basically. Mm -hmm. So you're leaving because of money, which is not necessarily true. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of private practitioners out there who are essentially feeling exactly how I am feeling, which is there is still an intrinsic need to have that zenness to serve the people who can't afford private practice. So a lot of us are still carrying out very altruistic duties. Um, we're doing pro bono clinics, we're um, volunteering our time with NGOs um, or being advisors to the Minister of, uh, uh, of Health in the first place, the Ministry of Health. At the end of the day, uh, there's a, uh, the, the, it was leaning heavier towards going into private practice and still meeting uh, that requirement of job meaning, that requirement of spirituality, of giving back to the people. Mm. 
Um, on that note, in your opinion, Rain, how aware are Malaysians in terms of mental health? I mean, do you think in terms of awareness, what level are we at currently? Um, it's difficult to generalize, but in um, in essence, what we can see is a trend of increment when it comes to um, awareness of mental health and mental health issues. However, when it does come to knowledge, understanding and insight, basically, about mental health issues, there are several levels of insight. So uh, superficially, whether they are aware that this is a mental health um, illness, is it a disorder? Is it a disorder that can be explained medically, scientifically? All right. And then on the next level, it's um, whether they are willing to attribute this to a medical condition therefore there are medical treatments to it and and their willingness to go and seek for the treatment all right and then on the final level even deeper than that is the understanding and acceptance that this is a chronic illness that you will need to continue treatment for it and there can be possible sequelae to that, meaning its impact on work, social life, and also family life, and its impact on genetic possibility, you know, whether you can pass it on to the next generation or not. So if we want to say that Malaysians in general has reached all levels of insight, uh, I think that would be a bit premature. We still have a lot more um, stages to go through. But if we're talking about the superficial and middle level, a lot more people are aware of its um, attributability to a medical condition and that it can be treated with medical treatment. Mm. That a lot more work needs to be done. Right. Yeah. And I guess the best way to start is from the workplace, right? Because we spend most of our lives at work. And another thing is after the pandemic, most of us have realized the importance of of how our mental well-being can significantly affect our productivity when it comes to work. Uh, so your niche, one of your niches is actually uh, organizational psychology, right? Can you tell us about what you do and do you advise employees, employers or, you know, the HR department? Okay, so when it all first started, it was more of a collaborative work um, between clinicians, i.e. physicians and psychiatrists uh, with corporations or companies and businesses, basically. Um, COVID created an a situation or an environment whereby there was a lot more not just awareness about mental health, but it was an impetus for employers to actually start doing something actively for mental health for their employees, be it at work or at home. So we were getting a lot of companies reaching out for us to give talks and workshops about how to reduce stress, how to reduce possibility of burnout and to deal with isolation and uh, dealing with bad news, basically, because of the various situations that were happening during the lockdowns. But prior to this, most of the time in Malaysia, the idea of using psychological metrics or matrices um, at workplace is more of HR when it comes to 
um, whether they want to accept uh, a potential em employee coming in for interviews and where to place them in teams. Um, however, it doesn't really go much more beyond that, as in the dynamics of that team, the teamwork, whether it continues to be an effective team or not, is not really analyzed, taken into consideration or even looked into. On the other level, if individuals in that team is not effective as before, uh, we're looking at it not just in the psychological um, uh, perspective, but also psychiatric, meaning is this a medical condition or mm. disorder already? How that interplays with each other. In psychiatry, current services, there is a service called supported employment. So in supported employment, individuals who have uh, serious mental illnesses declare themselves to their employers about the status of their um, uh, mental health. The psychiatric team, along with the employers, come in, work together on how to help um, uh, said individual to perform better at work and how to make work environment more conducive. However, I feel that that is good, but it's more towards individuals who are ready to declare, mm. are ready to give up that right to keep privacy and confidentiality. And also it mostly uh, entertains more of uh, serious or severe mental illnesses. Are we doing anything to fill the gap between just psychological services and um, supported employment and the psychiatric services? So that's how I feel like a psychiatrist with a niche in organizational psychology would fill that gap. So we can be the interlink between employers trying to make things work with employee, taking into consideration dynamics. And at the same time, if there are any issues, um, we could help channel uh, the team members into the best ways to find help when they do and before it becomes a serious problem. All right. Uh, final question, right? And uh, I guess this is one of the most important questions. It is more important for employees to know as well. You know, there are a lot of news right now talking about because the maternity leave has increased to 98 days, right? And a lot of employers they are looking to employ male employees rather than females. And I guess this kind of gender discrimination in uh, the workplace is it's, it's still prevalent in Malaysia. It's not a psychologically safe place for some genders to work at. We also hear employees being afraid to take leaves, to, afraid to take breaks because they are afraid that they will be replaced if they take too long of a break that they need, that they want. Can you tell us like what are the most effective ways that employees can communicate their problems, their worries, their mental health issues to their their employers in a more conducive and effective way? A lot of things um, essentially need to change at different levels. So um, I don't think the onus 
would be fair to be just placed on individual level as in how can the employee um, express themselves or communicate better with the employers yes there are methods or there are self-help things that um, each individual as an employee can do uh, to improve their communication with the higher-ups but also we must realize uh, a lot of things have to change in the organization itself but more importantly uh, with policymakers as well there should be more incentives or enforcement basically when we are deciding policies to encourage more employers more companies to accept that mental health is a part of individuals um, life if we have laws that cannot discriminate a person for having diabetes and therefore they need um, a frequent breaks to give themselves uh, insulin injection and have a snack afterwards why are we not doing the same thing with mental health um, there shouldn't be a reason because mental health is still a medical condition uh, there's a lot more for us as a nation to grow the idea of psychological safety also is something that we really need to work on as a, a, a nation. Sadly, what you said is true. Um, employees are generally still very cautious about taking up their rights when it comes to taking uh, days of leave or, or even handing in their medical certificate if it's given from psychiatry or psychological services. All right. On that note, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Mastura. I've been speaking to Dr. Mastura Rosli. She is a certified psychiatrist at Mind Matters Clinic. She also served the Ministry of Health for 14 years. If you miss any part of this conversation, of course, you can go ahead on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to listen to the full conversation. I'm Lily Chai and you've been listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. Listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.